Good morning, Grace. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Galatians. If you're visiting or you weren't here last week, we started a series in the book of Galatians, which I've entitled Joy Killers. Uh, You may wonder about the title. It comes from Galatians 4.15, where Paul says, what happened to your joy? Uh, The Galatian churches throughout scattered throughout the Roman province of Galatia, were losing their joy. Their joy was being killed because of a group of monsters were creeping into their churches and telling them that in order to be made right with God and have his favor, or in order to maintain that favor, they had to come back under the Mosaic law, that the men and the boys had to be circumcised, and then God would smile upon them with favor. Their philosophy, these Judaizers, was focus on what you do for God and not what Jesus has done for you. Focus on your performance, how much you read the Bible, how much you pray, how much you serve and give. Come back under the Mosaic law and then you're made right with God. And what it was doing, it was actually killing the joy of these Galatian Christians who were Gentile and not Jewish. So that's why we've titled the series Joy Killers. Before we pray, let me ask you, do any of you ever feel like God doesn't love you because of the things that you don't do for him? Anybody ever feel that way? Anybody feel like you have to earn God's favor and love? Do any of you ever live with the fear of man? You fear what people think about you. You worry about what people think of you. Can any of you say today, I'm a people pleaser? Well, the gospel is going to come today and set many of you free. So let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you for your great love, for sending your son Jesus to do what we could never do because we are broken, rebellious sinners. He lived a life we could never live because we're sinners. He died the death that we deserve because we're sinners. He fully obeyed all of the law in the old testament we could never do that god and we thank you for that for his active and passive obedience he he fully obeyed the law he laid his life down and took the curse of the law upon himself for us to bring us to you and this is what you have been about since eternity past god you covenanted together in the covenant of redemption to save sinners like us from every nation race tribe and tongue to gather them around your throne that they would glorify you and enjoy you forever and we thank you that you've done that for many of us here and anyone here today that doesn't know you doesn't know of your great love for them god would you grant them repentance today that they would turn and believe in Jesus and that he would be their treasure in this life, God. And for those of us who are on this performance treadmill trying to earn your favor, God, would you set us free today? For those of us who are people pleasers, live in the fear of man, God, would you begin to break the chains and set us free? Do it by the power of the Holy Spirit and do it for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Maple Street, USA, late summer, a tree-lined little world of front porch gliders, barbecues, the laughter of children, and the bell of an ice cream vendor. At the sound of the roar and the flash of light, 
it will be precisely 6.43 p.m. on Maple Street. This is Maple Street on a late Saturday afternoon. Maple Street in the last calm and reflective moment before the monsters came. That's the opening monologue of an episode of The Twilight Zone. Forgive me. Just got the best illustrations. There'll be many more in the years to come. The episode is titled, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. It's the story of this typical American neighborhood that comes unglued after those who dwell on Maple Street hear this loud roar and this flashing light above. They lose all power and electricity and they're confused and they're wondering what's happening and they all come out of their homes like we all do when the power goes out. And someone suggests, perhaps it was a meteor that flew overhead. That's why we've lost all power. And then a young boy named Tommy suggests that it's probably aliens. He's read about them in his comic books. And so they probe him and tell us more about the story, Tommy. He says they they actually come many years before they take over. And they, they live amongst us. They look like us, a mom and a dad and two children. And you can't tell that they're aliens, but they come and they start setting up here, living in our neighborhoods. And then one day they disrupt the power and they take over. But he said, you can't recognize them because they look like us. And people say, oh, it's just a book, Tommy. But they begin to wonder, maybe aliens are behind all of this. And with that suggestion, the whole neighborhood begins to turn on each other. They begin accusing one another and saying, you are that alien. These neighbors who have known each other for years, who have eaten dinner together and washing their cars and doing their lawns together, suddenly start turning on one another, accusing one another. And one by one, they begin accusing each neighbor that they must be the aliens that have lived secretly among them. On Maple Street. They are the ones who are responsible for the blackout. Chaos ensues. And eventually the residents of Maple Street. Driven by fear. Begin killing one another. The final scene cuts to a spaceship on a hilltop. That overlooks Maple Street. Two aliens are watching the riot that is happening on Maple Street while they use a device to manipulate the neighborhood's power, and they have the following conversation. Alien One, the superior, who's teaching the younger one, says, understand the procedure now? Just stop a few of their machines and radios and telephones and lawnmowers, throw them into darkness for a few hours, and then just sit back and watch the pattern. Alien Number Two, and this pattern is always the same. Alien One, with few variations. They pick the most dangerous enemy they can find, and it's themselves. And all we need to do is sit back and watch. Alien 2. Then I take it this place, this Maple Street, is not unique? Alien 1. By no means. Their world is full of Maple Streets. And we'll go from one to the other and let them destroy themselves. One to the other. One to the other. One to the other. Rod Serling's closing monologue wraps up the episode well. He says, The tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices to be found only in the minds of men. 
This is exactly what was happening in A.D. 48. Maple Street, the Roman province of Galatia. Late summer, a tree-lined little world of front porch gliders, barbecues, the laughter of children, and the bell of an ice cream vendor. On the maple streets in the cities of Antioch, Lystra, Iconium, and Derby, cities where Paul brought the gospel message, monsters had invaded. The monsters who had invaded the Galatian churches were known as Judaizers. They were a group of Jewish people who came into Gentile churches and insisted that Gentile, non-Jewish Christians must come back under the Mosaic law as found in the Old Testament in order to be saved. They had to come back under the Old Testament law in order to gain God's favor and in order to maintain God's favor. So they were calling them to come back under the ceremonial and civil laws that we read about in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Now, God's moral law, his Ten Commandments are binding on us believers. They've been binding on God's people forever. But the ceremonial and civil laws were fulfilled in Christ. And we can read them. We can read Leviticus and find application for our life. But the Judaizers were coming in and saying, you have to do what these verses say in order to be made right with God. And that's why Paul is writing this letter. He is astonished that the Galatian churches would turn away from the gospel. Just like the neighbors in that Twilight Zone episode They were turning on the people that they knew. So too, the Galatian churches, the Galatian believers were turning from the God that they had come to know. It's a warning. Anytime you turn from the gospel, it will wreak havoc in your life. Anytime you turn from the gospel, anytime I turn from the gospel, we turn from the truth of the gospel, it will wreak havoc in our lives. It will seriously mess up your life. And that's what Paul is saying in our passage today. So look at verses 6 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. See, Paul is utterly perplexed. He's, he's flabbergasted. He just can't seem to wrap his mind around what the Galatian churches are doing. He just doesn't get it. He's astonished that they would so quickly turn away from the gospel message in favor of a legalistic, works-based righteousness that the Judaizers were preaching. And so Paul uses this word here for deserting. He's astonished that they would desert. This word was originally used in Paul's days in a military context of those traitors and turncoats who would leave the battlefield leave their post. And Paul says, I'm surprised, astonished, flabbergasted that you are abandoning the gospel, turning your allegiance away from the gospel message. But it wasn't just a message that the Galatian churches were turning from. They were actually turning away from God. 
the Galatians couldn't give up the gospel without giving up God himself. By turning from the gospel, they are turning from the God who called them in the grace of Christ. The God who called them in the unmerited favor of Christ. They are turning from God the Father. They are turning from God the Father who called them, regenerated them, justified them, and adopted them into his family. And for what? What are they doing this for? They're turning from the free grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, so that they could try and earn God's favor by trying to keep the law. And that's why Paul is astonished. They have forgiveness of sins. They have been credited and imputed with the perfect, foreign, alien righteousness of Jesus Christ. Something they could never produce on their own. They have that. And they want to trade all of that in so that they could try and earn God's forgiveness. And try and earn Jesus' perfect righteousness. You see, it just doesn't make sense they were trying to keep the law instead of resting in the fact that Jesus kept the law for them they wanted God to be a taskmaster over them they wanted to have to earn grace they wanted God to sit there with a whip with the whip of the law and say do this And you will be made right with me. What the Galatian churches needed is they needed a copy of Walter Marshall's book, The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification, written in 1692, I believe. The best book on sanctification and growing in holiness that I've ever read. They needed a copy of Walter Marshall's book, The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification, because if they had a copy of his book, they would have read on page 236 what Walter Marshall says. He says, God does not drive you along with whips and terrors or by the rod of the schoolmaster, the law. Rather, he leads you and draws you to walk in his ways by pleasant attractions. The love of Christ is the greatest and most pleasant attraction to encourage you to godly living. The Galatian Christians were turning from God the Father, turning from the gospel to a different gospel. But Paul is quick to tell them that there really isn't another gospel. There is only one gospel and it brings freedom. The fake, distorted, perverted gospel peddled by the Judaizers was actually wreaking havoc in the Gentile churches. And that's why Paul says in verse 7, but there are some who trouble you. The word trouble here is a word that speak, it's used in John's gospel in John 12, 27 when Jesus says, now my soul is troubled as he looked down time and, and knew what he would have to do to redeem sinners like us, to take the curse of the law upon himself, to be abandoned by his father, to absorb all the wrath of God on the cross. As Jesus thought about that, it troubled his soul. And that's the word here. Paul is saying these Judaizers have come in and and they've troubled you. It's this Greek word that means to stir up, to deeply upset, to disturb mentally, to perplex. It's the same word that's used in Acts 15, 24. 
when the Jerusalem Council met to discuss the Judaizers, probably the same group of people who were upsetting Gentile Christians by insisting that they must be circumcised. The false gospel of the Judaizers was troubling Gentile believers in Galatia. It was making their heads spin. It's just another reminder that anytime you turn from the gospel, it will wreak havoc in your life. Rod Serling was correct when he said, the tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices to be found only in the minds of men. And that's where this false gospel originated in the Judaizers' mind. The Judaizers didn't come into Galatian churches with guns blazing and start shooting people and stirring them with riots. No, they were subtle. They came with words, thoughts, attitudes. They would have told you, yes, Jesus is the Savior. They would have told you, yes, you need to repent and believe in Jesus. But then they would have told you that you need to do something. You need to get circumcised and come back under the Mosaic law. After all, they would argue, this is what Gentiles have always done to be made right with the people of God. They would tell you, read the Old Testament. It says if a foreigner comes in, they must be circumcised and come back under the law. So the Judaizers were saying, this is what Gentiles have always had to do to be included in the people of God. They always had to do something. Now, we may not have Judaizers coming in here In grace today, telling us that we have to be circumcised or that we can't eat bacon or sausage because it's forbidden in the Old Testament. But we easily fall back into a performance-based Christianity. And we talked about it in last week's sermon. But Jerry Bridges says this in his book, The Transforming Power of the Gospel. We all having trusted Christ alone for our salvation, have a tendency to revert to a performance-based relationship with God. We know we are saved by faith in Christ alone, but we assume we earn God's acceptance and blessings in our daily lives by our performance. Any form of spirituality that focuses on you, And what you do for God is to be avoided. Any form of spirituality that makes you the Savior and not Jesus is to be avoided because it is a different gospel. Any gospel that comes to you and says, if you read your Bible three chapters a day and get on the year plan, then God's going to smile upon you with favor. But if you miss a day, oh, he'll fold his arms and there'll be a frown on his face. That's not the gospel. And it doesn't matter who brings that different gospel. It is to be avoided. Look at verses 8 through 9. And by the way, I'm not against reading your Bible every day. But if you think it earns you God's favor and earns you God's blessing, that's not the gospel. Look at verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. 
As we have said before, so now I say again, one verse later, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul doesn't care if he shows up, the apostle Peter shows up, Barnabas shows up, or an angel comes down from heaven with these big wings and a flaming sword. He said, if anyone says that what you do for God earns you favor with God, he says, let that person or let that angel be accursed. The word here for accursed is anathema. I love the way the Net Bible, the New English translation, translates it as, let him be condemned to hell. Roughly translated then, it means to hell with them. And it's such a big deal that Paul says it twice. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, to hell with them. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received to hell with them. And that's why Philip Ryken says in his commentary, the good news of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is the only gospel there is. Anyone who says anything different, Paul doesn't care who, deserves to go to hell. There is no other gospel. There has never been any other gospel and there never will be any other gospel. And I think that's why Paul would join me in calling these Judaizers monsters. These monsters had shown up on the Maple Street scattered throughout the Roman province of Galatia and they were wreaking Havoc. So let's imagine that you lived in the city of Derby in the Galatian region on Maple Street. It's opening weekend of the football season, AD 48. So you have your friends over from church to eat some barbecue and to watch the game. Now, the Judaizers had visited your church that morning, and they saw in the bulletin that you had invited everyone from church to your house to barbecue and to watch the game. So the Judaizers drive down Maple Street. They get out of their car. They can smell you barbecuing up your tri-tip and your bratwurst and your hamburgers and hot dogs. And then they come around to your backyard as you're flipping burgers and turning over your bratwurst. And they would say, don't you know that Leviticus chapter 11 verse 7 says that you can't eat pork? You can't put that bacon on your hamburger. That goes against God's law. God does not like your menu, brother. And don't even think about eating a rock badger. Because according to Leviticus 11, they're off limits too. And so is the bearded vulture. So don't go getting any ideas, Mr. Gentile Christian. And then they would check the tag on the back of your shirt. And remind you that Leviticus 19.19 says that you can't wear clothing made of two kinds of fabrics. These monsters would show up. And if you had a boil on your skin or teenagers, a pimple on your nose, they'd point you to the ceremonial laws in Leviticus that spoke of how to care for skin infections. And ladies, 
If you had a baby, there were ceremonial purification rituals that they would hold you to. There was no way they would let you back into the church after you had given birth so that you could show off your new bundle of joy because you had to either wait 33 days or 66 days before you could come back into the sanctuary, before you could come back into church, depending on whether it was a boy or a girl. And they would hold you to this. Do you understand now why the joy of these Galatian believers was being killed? They were being told to keep an impossible standard. And it was killing them. And it was killing their joy. And it was turning them away from the gospel. Away from God himself. The God who had called them in the grace of Christ. The God who had called them in the unmerited, you can't earn it favor of God. Remember, any time you turn from the gospel, it will wreak havoc in your life. The Judaizers were taking the good, pure, awesome law of God. And turning it into something that it was not designed for. The law of God was never given to God's people to make them right with God. His grace does that. His grace makes sinners right with him. Not law. Remember, grace came before the Mosaic law. God's grace came to Israel before God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, delivered Israel out of Egypt. That's his grace. He rescued them. He redeemed them. And then he gave them the law. The Judaizers failed to understand the purpose of the law. The law was given to Israel, one, to show them their sin and to show them God's holiness. Secondly, the law was given to restrain evil in the land, when they lived in the land. And thirdly, the law was given to show them what pleases God. You see, the law comes to drive us to Jesus, and then Jesus drives us back to the law to do it because it pleases him, to obey the Ten Commandments because it pleases him. This is what John Calvin calls the three uses of the law. But the problem with the Judaizers was that they said Gentile believers had to keep these laws in order to be made right with God. They failed to understand the gospel that Jesus fulfilled all of these laws for us, that he perfectly obeyed the law for us. So this kind of legalistic self-righteousness was wreaking havoc and disturbing the Galatian Christians The Judaizers believed that humans had to work to get God's favor and to keep God's favor. They were distorting the gospel of God's free grace, his unmerited favor. In fact, they were actually accusing Paul of preaching a message of cheap grace. And they believed that Paul preached this message of cheap grace because he was a people pleaser. We'll look at verse 10 in a moment, but I got to tell you, this is one of my life verses. God used this verse 
to, to let the gospel explode in my heart about eight or nine years ago. I was working at Starbucks and one of my friends, Rob, was just a barista like me. And then he got into the management program and suddenly was the assistant manager at our store. And I asked him one day, Rob, how are you dealing with the fact that we and everybody here are friends, we work together, and you know, there's just that level ground, you know, none of us tells each other what to do, we're friends, and suddenly you're an assistant manager, and you have to tell, like, your good friends that they have to do stuff, you have to crack the whip, so how are you dealing with this, and I can, I can see it right where we were at that day, and he said to me, Galatians 1.10, if I'm trying to please man, I'm not a servant of Christ, and it was like, the gospel exploded in my heart. It's like, I've read that verse a million times. Really? And that was it. That was the beginning of the gospel riot that started in my heart. Let's look at verse 10 because I love this verse, but I gotta warn you ahead of time, people pleasers, people who live in the fear of man, your chains are about to be broken off. As we read this verse, as we talk about this verse, you're going to hear the chains dropping in this sanctuary because some of you are going to be set free today, right now. So look at verse 10. Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The Judaizers were actually claiming that Paul was a people pleaser. They were telling the Galatians that Paul preached the gospel that was cheap. Just turn from sin and trust in Jesus and you can be saved. And they were saying, see, Paul's gospel is cheap. It's too easy. Just turn from sin and trust in Jesus. That's it. No, Galatians, you have to do something. You have to be circumcised. Paul's just a people pleaser, and he wants people to like him. That's why his gospel is so easy. That's why grace is so cheap. I love what Steve Brown says about grace. He says, if grace wasn't cheap, then I couldn't afford it. But Paul didn't care what people thought of him. He wasn't preaching a politically correct gospel. He wasn't trying to win friends and influence people. He wasn't trying to get people to like his status updates on Facebook. He wasn't seeking man's approval. No, Paul only wanted to please the Lord. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, so we make it our aim to please him. Philip Ryken says in his commentary on Galatians, this is a question every person has to answer. Whose pleasure do I seek? If we try to please ourselves or other people, then we are living by a different gospel. Pleasing God and pleasing others are mutually exclusive. Consider what the gospel says. It does not tell us that we have to, what we have to do to please God. Instead, it announces that God is already pleased with us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hear this sentence here. God is pleased with us as he is pleased with his own son. Isn't that staggering? That God is just as pleased with you, Christian, today, right now, as he is with his son. As God the Father looks at his son and his heart brims over with love and joy and affection, 
Christian, that's exactly how God looks at you. That is the gospel. Now back to Riken. This liberates us from seeking the approval of others. At the same time, it frees us from striving for God's favor. We already have the tender affection of his eternal love. What more do we need? If you have the tender affection of God's eternal love, does it matter what people think of you? If you have the tender affection of the eternal, infinite God of the universe, does it matter what some puny, finite human being thinks of you? But if you care what people think of you, it will wreak havoc in your life. Anytime you turn from the gospel, it will wreak havoc in your life. If you are a people pleaser, in that moment, you are essentially the slave of another human being because you have turned away from the gospel. Paul says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. By default, he's saying, I would be the slave of another human being. Listen, Grace, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I don't care what any of you think of me. I want to be a good pastor. I want to be a good shepherd. I want the elders who are my boss to be pleased. But I don't stress about any of that. I sleep well at night. Not really, because I'm a light sleeper and that's my thorn in the flesh. But I don't sit up at night stressing about what some of you think about me. I'm free in the gospel. It does not bother me that some of you don't like my preaching. It does not bother me that some of you don't like the way I look or the clothes that I wear. It drives some of you nuts that I don't wear a suit and a tie because that's what a pastor's supposed to wear. That doesn't bother me one bit. I don't care if you hate me. I don't care if you leave here and slander me to every other church you go to in this town. I don't care because I'm free in the gospel. I care about your soul if you're sinning and slandering, but it doesn't affect me because I'm free. Jesus loves me. I have God's approval. And that is all that matters to me. I am free. And I want you to experience that freedom. And when I say I'm free, I'm not saying that, that I'm so far removed from the temptation to be a people pleaser. Listen, I was a people pleaser my whole life. First moment I can remember is sitting in second grade class with Miss Gibson. And I was wearing a t-shirt by the band Kiss. You remember them? the Destroyer album. And she said, I can't believe you're wearing that shirt. And the fear of man hit me and I said, it's the only one I could find today. I love that shirt. I love that band. But it was the fear of man that made me lie. I want you to be set free. I've been a people pleaser my whole life, but the gospel has come and has set me free. I could easily turn back to that. And I know it would wreak havoc in my life. I know that I would be turning from the gospel. Listen, I have tasted 
gospel freedom because of Jesus, and it is good. It is addicting. It is intoxicating, and I want that for all of you. Some of you need this kind of gospel freedom today. Some of you are slaves to what people think of you. Some of you are bound up in the chains of trying to impress people and it consumes you. And some of you have never tasted the freedom that the gospel brings. Understand this. Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. And yet he could not control what people thought of him in his sovereignty yes he could have controlled that because genesis 20 the lord tells abimelech i kept you from sinning so in one sense yes jesus could control that but in another sense he couldn't he never did anything wrong he never sinned he was perfect and yet he the eternal son of god could not control what people thought of him and we think We can do that. How absurd is it that we think we can control what people think of us? We can't. And so many of us try and try and try to get people to like us. How exhausting. You can't control what people think of you. And yet we get up sometimes and we have those days. We have bad hair days. We have days where we don't like the outfit that we're... But we have those days where like all the forces of the universe come together. And like we love our outfit and we like the way we look and our hair is perfect. And we leave the house and we're excited to go to church because we, according to our eyes, look good. And we come into church and we're thinking, everybody must be looking at me and thinking, they look awesome today. The absurdity is that the person sitting across from you in Sunday school class might be looking at you and thinking, I can't believe she wore that. What was she thinking doing that with her hair? You can't control what people think of you. How absurd it is to do things, to say things, and think, I'm going to gain their approval. I'm going to gain their favor. They're going to like me. How absurd is it that we get on Facebook and we're like, oh, if that person likes my status update, great. Oh, great, that famous person followed me on Twitter. How great. Ooh, I'm so cool. Are you a people pleaser? Are you trying to get someone's approval? You don't have to work for that because you have God's approval. Who cares what anybody else thinks of you? Teenagers, get this. Understand this now. Who cares what the most popular girl in school thinks about you and says about you? The God of the universe is smiling down upon you because of his son, Jesus. Be free in that. Trust me, you'll, you'll blow their mind when you say, I don't care what you think about me. I've got Jesus' approval. They won't even know what to do with that. Do you want to be free today? You go down deep into the gospel because if you don't, you'll turn from it and you'll live in the fear of man and you'll be a slave of people trying to please them and it will wreak havoc in your life and you will say and do things that you walk away and say, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I lied to them just because I wanted to win their favor. You'll walk away thinking, I can't believe I did that. I said that. I can't believe I signed up for that because I feared what they would say to me if I said no. And now I've got to serve in Awana. Oh, it will wreak havoc in your life. The Gentiles living on the Maple Streets in Galatia were worried about what the Judaizers were saying about them. They were trying to impress them, trying to please them. They were the exact opposite of the Apostle Paul. 
just like the residents on Maple Street in the Twilight Zone. We too, like the Galatians, turn from truth. We focus on ourselves, focus on what people think of us. We weren't saved to live in fear, trying to get God's approval or trying to get man's approval. The gospel frees us to enjoy the God who approves of us because of Jesus. Rehearse the gospel. Enjoy the approval of God if you're a Christian. If you've repented from your sins and you trust in Jesus, you have the approval of God, all the approval that you will ever need. He always smiles upon you and loves you. Rest in that. If you want that and you don't have that, you've got to own up to your sin and run to Jesus. But if you're a Christian, enjoy the approval of God that Jesus has secured for you. When God looks at you, he sees his son. I've never seen him frown upon his son. He loves his son and he loves you. Enjoy the approval of God. Quit being a people pleaser. But watch out because when you leave here today, the monsters are due on the maple streets of your heart. They will come. You'll be tempted to live in the fear of man. You'll be tempted to seek the approval of man. You'll be tempted to be a people pleaser. You'll even try to earn God's favor. Be careful because the monsters are due on the maple streets of your heart when you leave here today every single day. Do not let them throw you into confusion, panic, and fear. Turn your eyes to Jesus because that's who God sees when he sees you. And may you be set free in the gospel today. Let's pray.